Good morning. So I'm going to start off with praying as well. Lord, I come before you. Father, and I ask that, Lord, that the message that I have within my head is not my own. Lord, I ask you to wipe clear the things of that I think this should look like. Father God, that in this moment, Father God, the only thing that would proceed from my lips is the truth that's upon your lips. I ask that you would just move right now and that you would begin to to open ears, open mind first, Lord, and then open the ears of those who will hear, Lord. Father God, I ask that just right now your spirit would just begin to move among this congregation, begin to move among hearts, begin to move among your children. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the ability to stand here, Father God, not in my own strength, but in yours. I ask that you would bring forth the message that needs to be heard. I say, use me, Lord, use me. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'm going to try to keep it short and simple as short as it can be. So I was kind of looking up time frames within the Bible. And so I'm gonna stick with God's time frame. You know, a day is a thousand, a thousand is a day. So I'm going to try to stay within that time frame. But I'm going to start with Psalm 23. Many of you know this. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What I'm going to start with is I'm going to share my testimony. A couple months ago, God just kind of hit me that it's time to go, go back to Africa. And so I began to think out what that was supposed to look like. You know, we all try to go, oh, okay, I heard this. Let's, let's figure this out. That's built inside of us, the need to figure things out. So I began to process going, this is what it's going to look like. This is what's going to be. But the simplicity of it was, is that day that I stood up here and announced it, I had somebody come forward and say, your ticket's done. We've got you. It's covered. And the crazy thing is, is even God knows, God knows that our financial system right now is in chaos. Normally a ticket would cost him between $1,200 and $1,600. The ticket costs $700, which is half cost. So he knows, he knows what it needs to be. And what's crazy is right now you go look, it's back up just to show you how good our God is. And so I get the ticket and I began going, all right, God, release the finances for me to go because it's going to cost this much. That cost is usually in between $2,000 and $2,500. It's not cheap over there. It's expensive. It really is. So weeks go by and nothing and nothing and nothing. I'm in my last week going, God, where is the money? You paid for the ticket. You paid for that supernaturally. It was done. It was taken care of. But God, where is that money? And I began to stress. I began to to toil in my soul. I began to toil in my thoughts going, okay, God, did I hear you wrong? Did I miss something? Is this in me? And he kept saying, no. Out of obedience, he showed me a few things to do. So I did that thinking, all right, here comes the 2000. It's going to be perfect. Well, I ended up with $300. That's all that was given to me. That night is a Wednesday night. We're praying. I'm going, okay, God, I got 300 bucks. That is a small portion of what it's going to take 
for me to walk out the next two weeks in Africa. I'm a nervous wreck right now. And my daughter, Eliza J., she, uh, after our prayer time, she stops, she goes, Dad, have you ever thought that your provision is going to come from in-country? And I was like, well, yeah, it could, but that still doesn't ease the fear within me. You know, it still doesn't ease those concerns that I have, but I took it and I believed it. I was like, okay, yeah. And then the next morning I came and sat down with Randy and identical words proceeded from his mouth. Have you ever thought that your finances, your, your help will come from in country? All right. Confirmation. Check. Done. God, you're good. How you will take and bring it from the mouth of babes and the mouth of the wise and to, to bring to me. But here's the thing. I had to listen. I had to have ears to hear. This is what Randy's been preaching on. We have to have ears to hear. And so I stepped foot on that plane going, all right, this is, this is going to be interesting. God, you have definitely got to go before me now. There's no way of hands or butts about it. It's got to be you. And so I get off the plane and uh, they're waiting for me is uh, Pastor David and Jennifer. That was one of the, the things I needed to go over there for. They're the heads of CMIA, Christian Ministries in Africa. Well, I told David previously that, David, I'm coming. I have zero plans. And he was like, okay, where are you staying? He's like, I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get there. And uh, he goes, you know what? Come stay at the guest house. So I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> There's one check spot. Okay, I got that taken care of. So I get there. He has his, uh, he's a pastor, but he's also a taxi driver. He showed up. He's my African counterpart. Me and him are so much alike because of the giftings that we have. He has a gift of faith and I have a gift of faith. That if God says jump and touch the top of a mountain, I'll do it because I believe it. And he has the same thing. So here he is. He's the first one I get to see when I get off that plane. And boom, begins faith talk. Since the last time I seen him, he's like, you'll have no idea what God has done since the last time I've talked to you. So instantly I get off of 16 hours of flying to a faith builder. I'm like, all right, this is good. So I get back. And that next day I have an amazing conversation with David. I spend the day with him and it's just supernatural. Takes me out and feeds me, which is another big thing because I have zero funds. Remember, I'm sitting on just $300. And I'm like, okay, I like to be fed. Thank you, God. That next morning I wake up and I go down to get a bus ticket to go down to Tanzania because that was the other part of the vision that God had given me. The other word that he had told me is to go back to where I'd once been, which was in Kigoma, Tanzania. I get up to the bus station. I get up there to buy the ticket. The last time I bought the ticket, it cost me almost $45. uh, They have this plaque as you walk in, and it says, non-nationals, nationals. It's half price for nationals. So I already expected it. I was like, okay, here's a huge chunk of $300 coming out. So get up there. I'm like, I need a bus ticket. He goes, okay, that'll be 1,200 shillings. He charged me the national rate. And I'm like, God, I'm white. They're not. What's up with this? I don't get it. But he charged me just what the nationals had to pay. Instantly, he had already taken care of me. So I get on the bus. It's an eight-hour drive down to Arusha. And I get down there. The last time I was there, I met, for many of you know, I grew, the, right after high school, I went into the zoo biz. So I have a huge desire for animals and especially things that like to bite you, like venomous snakes. But there just so happens to be a snake park in Arusha where they deal with a lot of dangerous stuff. But needless to say, it built relationships. So Ma and Pa, which are the ones that run the place, they brought me in. They gave me a place to stay. They fed me. 
It's like they took care of me. It's like all I had to do was show up and they're like, hey, I remember you from last time. And I was like, oh, thank you. You hungry? <laughs> yes, I am hungry. So they fed me. And so I wake up again that next morning and I get on a bus to go down to Tabora, which I've never been. As I'm on the bus, I'm going to a city that I've never stopped in, never stayed in, never stepped off a bus in. So I'm like, okay, God, you've got to go before me, God. I'm going into a nation that where English is minimum. It's less than 20% of the people speak it there because they don't enforce it. And so I'm going, God, have someone waiting. As soon as I get off that bus door, have someone waiting, God. I, I just, I know you will. You'll have someone waiting for me there. So I get off the bus and, and there's these people, they're talking Keswahili. I can't understand them. And then I, I hear, hello, how are you? Do you need some help? And I was like, yes. He's like, that's the one. That's the one. So he's like, yeah. I was like, man, I do. I just got into town. I don't know where I'm staying. And I, I got to get on a bus again in the morning. This guy's name is Nishur. It's nice and sure put together. And so nice sure. He, he takes and he's like, here, let me grab your bag. So he grabs my big old backpack and grabs my other bag. And he's like, let's go get a ticket. And so he walks me over there and helps me get the ticket for the next morning. And uh, I'm like, he, he tells me, quotes me a price. And I'm like, eh. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, it's a local price. Let me show you. And he flips through and he shows me. He, he charged me local price again. I'm like, man, God, you're just, again. And so he carries my bags about four blocks down, gets me to my hotel, and I go to try to pay him. And I'm tipping. It's, it's a nice gesture. This dude just helped me out. And he's like, no, no, I'll see you in the morning. And I had to be up at five o'clock that morning. So I get up and who's there? He's there waiting on me. Helps me get to my place, gets me on my bus, gets me taken care of. I go to try to tip him again. He's like, no, Mr. Maxi. He goes, you're good, don't worry. So I was like, all right, cool. And uh, so I bid my farewell because I didn't expect to see him again because my route home, I was not gonna stay there. I was gonna go through another city back. So I get on the bus and I ride for another 12 and a half hours and I finally get to Kigoma. And the last time I was there, I met Casey and Martin. Martin is from Denmark and Casey is from here in the States. So I, I met them the last time I was there towards the end of my trip. And so I contacted them saying, hey, I'm coming into Kigoma. I don't have anywhere to stay. And they're like, instantly, they're like, we're gonna take care of you, come stay with us. I came, stayed in their home. It was amazing. Last time I spent so much time alone. I spent a majority of the trip in Tanzania by myself. Couldn't speak to anybody and I really didn't meet any Mazungus or white people, any missionaries towards the last half of that trip. Not even the last half, the last eighth of that trip. And so here I am going, all right, God, I kind of, I'm longing for this. I want to be over here alone again. It was so nice to be alone with you. And he kept saying, no, I want you with people. I want you with people. So I was like, all right. So I began just to spend time in their home. It was really relaxing. It sounds crazy, but it's so relaxing. I'm like, God, why am I here? This is too relaxing. This is like vacation. Why am I here? And what he hit me with was Romans 1, where it keeps talking about how I long to be there with you guys. I long to be there with you. And I kept thinking, that's Kigoma, that's Tanzania, that's that spot is every day from the last moment I was there to the point I was there again. That, it was a thought every day. Kigoma was a thought upon my soul, thought upon my heart was that place. And it's like the people there. I'm like, all right, God, I get it. Well, what do you want me to do with that now? And he was like, just love, just love. And the sweet thing is, is I'm not much of a book reader, but I got to finish a book while I was there. And it was called The Seer. 
And uh, granted, it was only about yay thick, but yay thicks usually take me four to six years. I'm not lying. Okay. So I read this book and it was talking about having dreams with God. And having one of the words for encountering God in the Hebrew or in the Greek is ecstasesa. Our word for ecstasy. And it's crazy. I was like, whoa, God, how ecstasy. I say ecstasy and everybody's like, oh, that's not a good term in our nation. But I was like, God, I want to have ecstasy with you. Show me what that really looks like. So that night after finishing that book, I had a dream like I never had before. It was so in-depth. I mean, it was almost like I was in the movie theater, 3D, part of the movie. It was, it was just intense. And what it was is I was on the side of a cliff with Casey and Martin, and we locked arms together. And then there was this boat that was submerged in the water, and we locked arms, and we were working our way down this mountainside, and they put me on the boat. And the moment I stepped foot onto that boat, that boat raised up out of the water, and it began to heal itself. The rust was disappearing. The pieces that were actually missing began to mold over. And this boat began to float, and all three of us were standing on it. And I woke up that next morning going, okay, God, what was that? And so I Googled at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, boat sank in Tanganyika. It was called the, the Hedwig von Huizen, which was in World War I, was a military boat that was used to patrol and try to keep the British and the British ended up sinking it. It was the very first boat ever sank. Hedrick von Weizmann was the warrior, the battler for the safety, battling for safety. And so I was like, okay, cool. I get, I get that. But then it hit me that next morning as I'm having breakfast with these guys that they're both struggling in their ministries. They're both struggling in what they're doing there. Because Casey came to work with one company or one uh, missionary group. And Martin came to work with another missionary group. They met each other and got married. And so here they are. They both had independent missions, and now they're married, and they're struggling with those independent missions. And so I'm like, oh, God, what is that? And he continues to tell me, God released over me about four years ago a ministry that I'm fixing to step foot into. Don't know what it's going to look like yet, but it's called 5 at 5 ministry. It's the point in Luke where Jesus steps on the boat with Peter. And he tells him, go do it one more time. And he's like, I've been doing this all night. I, I, I've caught nothing. He's almost fed up. He's almost like, I've been doing this and I'm not getting anything. But Jesus stepped foot on the boat and he preached to the masses. And then he tells him, let's go deeper. And when he gets deeper, he tells him, drop the nets, but do it on this side, drop them. And he's like, okay, you said it, I'll do it. You know, it's almost like, fine, I'll show you. And so he throws him over, and what does he do? He brings up more fish than he can even understand. He begins to sink. So he has to call others, help, help, I need you. And what happens, what God showed me with that is that God is asking this ministry, Luke uh, 5 at 5 Ministries, to be that that which steps on board with failing missionaries. Missionaries who have been in the field, they're struggling, they're having issues, they can't get it. But he's asking for this ministry to step on board and let his presence and his direction and his obedience be that which changes the course of what happens. Because the crazy thing is, is that fish fed that entire city. Not only was it fish for, for the belly, it's also a source of finances for that little bitty fishing village. So everything they brought in, 
didn't just help Simon Peter. It helped the other boat, the other boat, their families, the other families. Everybody within that whole region was changed by one simple stepping on the boat. And so I'm like, okay, God, I see that. You just told me to step on the boat with these two. I don't know what that looks like, so I'm just going to leave it there. So I told them that I'm stepping on the boat with you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like, but you can count me in on what y'all are doing. And I'm going to be prayerful consideration of everything. I'm going to put you before the Lord. I'm going to be intercessing for you because I know God wants me to be a part of your story. He wants himself to be a part of that story more. So one of the things about the last trip is I met a man named uh, Andy Blake. Andy runs a school there and a medical ministry there. The last time I was there, many of you know who have been here, he asked me to come back and help him build the school. I know zero about building, but hey, I'm in the presence of wise who build a lot. So it's like, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna learn how to build. I still don't know how to build. <laughs> but here I am, Andy wants to meet with me again, and I go sit with Andy, and we're having supper, and Andy begins to talk about what it was like when he was younger on the British Isles in a little yacht. He's like, I, he goes, I dream of it. He goes, I'm waking up dreaming. He goes, I've been here in Africa for 30 years. I've been doing this for such a long time. And I'm getting tired. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm supposed to step on the boat with him too. What is this supposed to look like, God? And these are all thoughts in my head. And, and at the end of the conversation, Andy goes, I want you to think about something, Max. And I was like, okay. He goes, I want to give you this ministry. He says, I want to give you and your family Sunshine Schools and the medical ministry. He goes, I want you to come and take over everything I've planted here. And he says, it'll be yours. It'll be yours and your family's. Instantly, mind blown. I'm like, uh, what, do you, what do you say to that? What do you say? In my head, I'm going, God, I, I can't do this. This is bigger than me. This is, this is way too much. I'm a maintenance man at a high school, for God's sake. You know? It's like, how am I supposed to run a school? How am I supposed to do these things? He simply just said, don't worry. So I'm like, okay. All right. And I told Andy, I said, Andy, I know, I know one thing for sure. I says, God, when we moved to Sundown, Texas, I was in driving and my wife was in the passenger seat. God spoke to us at the same time and told us how long we're going to be in Sundown. Seven years. We're here for five of it, so I've got two left. What that looks like, it may be Kigoma, but I got, I'll share more here in a minute. But I told him, I've got two years left, Andy. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I know I've got two years left. And I said, and he goes, and he kind of, he goes, okay. He goes, I agree with that. He goes, because the next thing I was going to say is, he goes, I've got a dream to build this school. And he says, and I'm not going to give you my dream. I'm going to complete what God has given me. So he says, I'm not going to have you move here until I've built what's been given to me. He says, I'm going to give you a brand new school. I'm going to give you all of these things. And so I left that conversation and I'm like, all right, it's, it's just overwhelming. I, don't, I still don't even know how to process it because in and of myself, in and of Max, Max can't do it. Max cannot run a school. But I know if I go in obedience to God, God can run that school through Max any day. So I get back on the bus after hanging out with Casey and Martin and it, it, just, just amazing the friendship that's been built there. It's like the love that's there. It, it's just, it's crazy. I get back on that bus and I'm heading to Mwanza, which is about six hours away. And then from Mwanza, I'm going to go back to Nairobi. 
So I'm on the bus for eight hours. Shouldn't have taken this long. I'm like, oh, God, where are we going? Through the jungle. And I kind of look over going, where are we? And I look kind of out of the sides of the seats. And I see a road that goes forever, straight, just cut, perfect dirt road out of the jungle. And picture that. It goes into the point of where it disappears, straight. The longest road I've ever seen in my life. And what's crazy is we've been driving straight for at least an hour. So I know it's just as far back that way. And so I'm staring. I'm like, man, that is just, it's beautiful. The green trees, the, the, it's just amazing. And then it hit me. The last time I was on that road or the last time I, I went to Kigoma, I was on that road. And I don't know if y'all remember me sharing that how desolate and dead it was how dry it was, that they were digging holes. I mean, it looked like the movie Holes, where there were holes everywhere. They were digging for water. And I was like, this is green and lush, God. And he goes, you remember your prayers before? What did I have you praying that entire trip? That he would rain and that he would rain, that he would rain. And so it's, it's, it's crazy to see what I did two years ago. Not me, him through me. I prayed what he gave me. To get, and then it hit me. This is the same road I was on last time. I've been on this path. And it looks absolutely nothing that it was two years ago. Because the last time it was dead. This time it was so alive. So here I'm on the buses. And I left out a part a while ago. I should take notes, but I don't. But while I was on the bus trip the first time, people kept feeding me. Every time I turned around, this little old lady, she'd hand me peanuts or she'd hand me something to drink. She just kept taking care of me. And just kept feeding me, kept taking care of me. So here I am on the bus again, heading to Mwanza, six hours. But eight hours later, I'm like, this is not heading to Mwanza. And the next thing I know, we're pulling into city. I'm like, this is Tabora. This is the same city that, that, that I stayed in the other day. And I was like, all right, this is cool. That'll work. I'm getting off here. I'm not, I paid, I, in all honesty, I paid to go to Mwanza, which was double the price. I... And you know, it's because that's what Max wanted to do. I, I see that clearly now. I wanted to go to Mwanza because Mwanza is a beautiful resort city. It's got nice beaches. It's beautiful on Lake Victoria. And then it hit me. It's like, okay, I'm getting off the bus because it was 10 hours from Tabora to Mwanza. So like, I'm not going to spend 18 hours on a bus. So I get off and I'm frustrated and I'm like, good grief. This should have been over two hours ago. And I grab my bags and this guy comes up and he's like, I can help you. I said, oh, okay, cool. He's speaking English. Let's do this. So he takes me over to this little bit of closet type area and he's like, you need a ticket? And I'm like, yeah. And he gets me a ticket and I'm still frustrated. I get the ticket and I go to my ho the hotel room. He walks me down there and, and uh, I'm fixing to close the door and he's like, pay me. And I was like, oh, snap. Okay. So I give him some money. I'm frustrated going, man, God, I just, that was not what I expected that one to be. And then it hit me. I didn't do much praying on that trip either. I was leaving. And, you know, kind of when we start to leave something, you, you pray a little less because it's, that's what he showed me is I just didn't pray enough. I wasn't praying, God, have someone waiting for me. God, have, I was expecting to go somewhere and take it easy. Next morning, I get up. Dude's not there. He said he was going to be, but he wasn't. I'm walking down the road at five o'clock in the morning and I hear, hey, Mr. Maxi. And I was like, nice, sure. And I turned around and he's like, Why'd you come back? I thought you were going to Mwanza. And I was like, no, I'm, I ended up here. And uh, he was like, well, you should have called me. And I was like, yeah, well, my phone doesn't work here. And uh, 
He goes, here, let me grab your bags. So, I mean, he instantly pulled off my bags off my back. He got me to the bus and got me set down and then began to realize the bus was filling up way too much. The guy that had helped me the day before was a scam. They were selling double tickets for the bus. And so Mr. Nysher, he goes, Max, Mr. Maxi, don't get up. You sit there. And I was like, okay. He says, don't listen to anybody. You stay there. I was like, all right. And so he's like, I'll stay here. And here's the thing. He didn't work for the bus company I got the ticket for. He worked for a different bus company. And so he went outside, argued with the bus driver a little bit. And then he'd come back in. He goes, don't move. He says, they try to move you. You yell, police, police. And uh, he goes, but I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to wait. He says, don't let them pull you out. And so he stood out there by the door of the bus and was just like this. And people would come out and start yelling with the bus driver, you know, pointing. Mr. Nice, he would go, nah. He goes, that's his. And Swahili, I just know he was pointing, so I assumed it was me. But um, <laughs> that's what I'm going to believe it is. But, and then the bus begins to start and it begins to pull away. And I try to pay Nysher again. And he goes, no, Mr. Maxi, have a safe trip. And it's like, ah, oh, God, so good, so good. Because on the first part of that trip, I was praying because in every city, every village, every mud hut has a mosque. And I was praying against the mosques. I was praying against the, the rise of the Muslims within that nation. And what's crazy is it didn't dawn on me that every person that had helped me, that, old, that little old lady that kept feeding me, was a Muslim. Every person that was nice to me on that trip was a Muslim. Mr. Nysher was a Muslim. Really wrecked me. And it's something God's got me on a journey right now, but Allah is our God. Some of you may disagree with me, but Allah is our God. And you take it back to the history, it's, they're one and the same. Where they've gone with it may be different, but He is. Study it. Test it. That's what I say, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm going, okay, God. And you know what? Jesus is in their Quran. They just don't believe Him in the way we do. And so I'm on a journey right now of that going, God, I didn't have no Christians on that trip take care of me except for the ones at the end of where I was going to who had already known. Every person that had taken on to me, took, on, took on to me and helped me. Because I prayed to my God, have someone waiting for me. And who did he have there? A Muslim. But needless to say, let's, go, let's keep going on. I want you to chew on that for a second. may offend some of you, but it's, it's where he's taking me. So I'm on the bus I'm back in Nairobi. I have a few days there. And I was supposed to have met up with uh, some friends of ours from the Abilene area who have moved there a few years ago. They're, both, they're running a missionary there, and Cole and Chair Newman. And I was like, man, I really wanted to meet with them. Deb called, and she's like, did you get a chance to meet with them? I was like, no, it just didn't work out. Well, I wake up, and the guy who kind of oversees the compound where I'm staying, uh, Felix, he's rushing around cleaning stuff and getting it all ready. I'm like, Felix, what's up? He goes, we got a team coming. i got to hurry up and clean. I was like, oh, okay, from the States? Or? He goes, no, no, they're locals. And I was like, okay, are uh, Mazungus or Africans? And Mazungus are white people. Um, he goes, no, 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 they're Mazungus. I was like, okay, all right. So I'm sitting there waiting for these guests to arrive. And who so happens to walk in? Cole and Cherith Newman. They had a, a friend of theirs who was a pastor in uh, shallow water. His name is Eric von Atzigen, which I know because he was, grew up at the same church I grew up at, at Fountain Gate. So I know him. I've heard him preach multiple times. And here we are on the other side of the world, and he's come to preach that Sunday morning. 
And the message that he gave that morning, I needed to hear because it was talking about the right idea, but the wrong time. Right ideas, but wrong timing. Because if you take a right idea, a good idea, something that is God given, full authority to do, but you do it at the wrong time, they collide. They don't work. And so I'm listening to this message going, okay, here I am. I'm wanting to jump down in Tanzania. It's like I got to, I'm biting time two years, two years, two years, two years. I'm moving, I'm moving. You know, I'm already wanting to jump on that. Come home, figure out what it's going to take to get me to Tanzania. I'm already thinking of how to raise the funds and the finances to support my family there. I hear this message and it just tells me patience. Be patient. It's going to be good. I've got to wait. I've got to wait for that perfect timing. And so that next morning, that just that blew my mind, and I got to meet up with Colin Cherith, who I was longing to see. Oh, and the other cool thing is Eric von Atzigen. This, you know, I was telling you about Luke five at five, the five at five ministries. One of the before I left, the week I left, I asked God, God, I need to start this. This has got to go. What what is this going to look like? And He told me to put people on a board. So I was like, woohoo! He gave me three names: Randy, Jay, and then a guy named John Cargyle, who I went to church with at Fountaingate. Crazy thing is, is Mr. Eric Von Atzigen is married to John Cargyle's sister. So, <laughs> small world, right? Mind blown. I'm fixing to leave that day. David and Jennifer take me out to lunch, and uh, they're talking and sharing. They're like, Max, out of all the people we've seen over the 30 years, all the teams that have come, they're like, you and, you and your family are the only ones we've ever had the thought that could stay. Like, you and your family are the only ones that we've ever thought would have a fighting chance here. I was like, okay, thanks. You know, that's an awesome compliment. No, I mean, no lies. They've had thousands and thousands of people worldwide come. Then David goes, and with that being said, we want to offer you the Nakuru Boys Home and the Gombe Orphanage. We want you to come and run them. And they're like, we're going to help you and your family. We're going to help your kids get in school. We want you to move to Nakuru and take over those things. I'm like, What? God, because, I don't know, I'm still at a loss for words for it. I still don't know. You know it's, it's, I've got Tanzania, I've got Kenya, I've got the Five at Five Ministries. I'm going, God, what is this? And he goes, right ideas, perfect timing, just wait. And so I'm like, man, I, I don't deserve this. I honestly do not deserve this, God. I'm wretched, I'm wicked, I've, I've, I've lived a horror story. I've got a testimony a mile wide of what I did, didn't do. And it's, it's bad. Ask some of the older people in here. They know my testimony of when I was young is bad. But the crazy thing is, is what God is showing me is he loves me beyond what I deserve. He loves me beyond what I deserve. Because if he gave me what I deserve, it would not be good. But he loves me beyond what I deserve. Because a simple fact, he sent Jesus. He sent his own son. I mean, think of you right now who have a son. Will you murder him for me? Honestly. Mr. Hill, will you murder Logan for me? But think about it. How many of you would murder your own child for the worst of the worst? For a Muslim. Let's put it out there. How many of you would murder your own child for ISIS who just beheaded someone? Because they deserve Jesus. He doesn't love them any different than he loves me. So, I'm like, God, I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't. I can't do it. And the crazy thing is he's taken my horror story 
and he's turning it into a glory story. And I got wrecked with that word from a 14-year-old boy, Mr. Eric Von Atzigen's son. He's 14 years old. He's an eighth grader, same as my daughter. And I was sharing with him one night. His dad was on the phone with the mom, and I was telling him, you know, my story of what it was like being an eighth grader and the the trouble that it ensued and how that was the beginning of, of my downfall, my horror story. And he stopped me in the middle of my testimony of sharing, you know, which I thought my testimony was power. There's power there, right? He stopped me. He goes, you know what? He goes, I haven't experienced any of that. And he says, I'm not going to experience any of that. I'm growing up in the church. I'm growing up spirit-filled. I'm walking now with the Holy Spirit. He says, I listen. I'm obedient. And he goes, I don't have to live that way. I don't have to have a broken story. And God hit me instantly. The words is, I don't have to have a horror story. I can have a glory story. And that's what I'm raising my kids up. I don't want them to have to have a horror story. So I'm loving them beyond what they deserve. Because there's days they do not deserve it. You know, parents, there's days you want to whoop the dog out of your child. But you've got to love them beyond that. Because it's that love that goes beyond what they deserve that changes them. But you can only love beyond what you deserve. You can't do that unless you first have experienced it. You've got to understand that you are loved beyond what you deserve. You are, are so radically undeserving of the fullness of who God is. But the crazy thing is, is he doesn't care. He doesn't care how wretched or how jacked up you are. He doesn't care how broken you are. He says, I'm going to give it to you anyways. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to pour everything that I am over you. It's all yours. But when I begin to understand that I'm a son of the Most High, when I am a son of God, I get to walk in the fullness of a kingdom that I do not deserve, but he adopted me into. I have, within two years, I could be moving to Tanzania. I could be moving to Kenya. I could be moving to Mexico. I could be moving to China. I could be moving anywhere. I could be staying right here. I don't know. I don't care as long as I'm going where God leads me first. Because I don't want to not experience that fullness. I don't want to step outside of that abundant love. As I was thinking about it this morning, just a few minutes before actually stepping up here, because I stink at preparation, because I don't. But as I was getting up here, I was like, God, what do you want to do? And he goes, there's people in here who do not believe they're worth loving. There's some of you in here that believe that you've done jacked up too much. You've done screwed up too much. You've done too much to be loved. There's some of you even now setting in pain, turmoil, all of the, the, the junk of what this world wants to throw on your shoulders and he's saying, no, let me love you beyond what you deserve. Because it's, it, it, that love, that love that is beyond what we deserve is almost like a greenhouse, a protection. Plants grow big within a protected environment. Okay, whenever I step foot underneath that fullness of love that I don't deserve, I begin to grow But the second I say, I'm doing okay, I'm just going to battle this out, I step outside of that greenhouse into a hot sun that has come to kill, steal, and destroy me. Okay, in a desert, a wasteland. But I want to live within that greenhouse, that perfect environment, which is His presence. And so, I've got just one ministry song. That's it. And I want each one of you to take and go, okay, God, I I want that. 
Some of you, it may not be Africa, it may not be reaching the, the lost, may not be going and doing the crazy things, but you know what? There's still a crazy life living within God because here's the fun thing. You could do what I did in Lubbock. You can do what I did here. There's so many lost kids over here. There's so many lost people living within these houses that need someone to go, whoa, God, did you just tell me to go knock on that pink house over there? I don't know who that is. What? That's strange. Okay? Do it. And you'll see radical, a radical explosion of love. Because here's the thing. I know even within here, there's people who love me beyond what, I've de- what I deserve. Because I know I've hurt some of you. I've done stupid things. But it's that love that I don't deserve even within you guys that changes me. And there's some of you even that I love you beyond what you deserve. But the crazy thing is, is when you love beyond what you deserve, you're not meeting in the middle, you're overlapping each other like a big bear hug. I'm just gonna pray. If you feel like you, des- you need to experience that love, you need to experience something that you can't explain, you have lived this, this life of, of feeling so wretched and so downtrodden and, and, and so broken, then the place that you meet him is up here on your knees. Because it's got to be him alone. It's got to be him alone. Because here's the thing, sometimes man's words are just a, a knock at the door. And eventually, you ignore it. It's got to be him that meets you. My words are just mere words, but his presence is his presence. And so, if you feel you feel a little nudge. Do it. Because there's some of you that get nudged every week, but you don't do it. Some of you feel his tug every week, but you're like, oh, no, that's not for me. Do it. You want a radical explosion within your life? You want a story? You want a glory story? Then do it. Step out of that pew. Step out into obedience. Step out into the fullness of his love for you. Lord, in and of myself, I can't do it. I can't be the man you want me to be unless you're with me. And Lord, I ask that right now that you begin to tug on the hearts of those who felt like they've been broken for so long. Tug on the hearts of those who feel like they don't deserve your love. Father God, tug on them. Pull them close to you. Because that's what it is. It's about pulling close to you. That tug is not a push, it's a pull. It's that which draws us closer to you. Lord, draw them in. Lord, draw them in.